demo last week, there was a significantly less bad Italian, and I think we were poorer for it. Allora, ciao ragazzo! This episode, we talk about The White Lotus Season 2, Episode 6, Abductions. Albi and Lucia at it again. So what happens when you go all-inclusive, right? And young Phoebe and Otis review the latest episode of The Santa Clauses. It has a really good cliffhanger at the end. And what do you think is going to happen next? Everything's going to die. And finally, we discuss what else we've been watching and much, much more. Well, tonight's the night. When two become one. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. This podcast was recorded remotely and may contain adult language and themes. Hello and welcome to TV DNA, The White Lotus, Season 2, Episode 6, Abductions. My name's Adam Hemming, and all I want is the embrace of a woman to tell me I've done all right. She's the personification of a symphony in salmon. It's Grace Chapman. I'll throw this artichoke at your head. (laughs) Please don't. And he's notoriously well hung. Not that I've seen it firsthand. It's Damien Cooper. Ah, so depressing. (laughs) Now, this episode had me on edge just from reading the episode title. How was it for you? I have to say I'm I'm getting a little bit frustrated, guys. I think the pacing last week was getting to me a little bit. And this week I just wanted more. I needed something quite substantial to happen. And I just don't think that I got it. I think the last two episodes could have been one episode, in my opinion. Look, I mean, The White Lotus is outstanding. It's a very high bar. It's still brilliant. Brilliant cast, brilliant rank amazing I just wanted it to be a bit better are you feeling a bit like Portia was before Naughty Nephew Jack showed up yeah I just need something to happen (laughs) I see where you're coming from Grace I think yeah Pace could have been a little better but a lot of things happened that I enjoyed the big reveal at the end of the episode obviously listeners apologies for not being here last week but a couple of things that I I can't remember I even said some of these in the whatsapp but theories that I had I was quite chuffed. But just one quick one that I would like to talk about, because we weren't able to talk about it, that I found out is about the terminology of uncle and that being a term used, someone being an uncle or an aunt was kind of like a euphemism for a pimp. And so we found out that that's the reasoning for Quentin being called Jack's uncle. Gosh. So do you think that Quentin, is is he pimping Jack out to Portia, but Portia's not the one that's going to pay? The message you sent us was around the, the term of niece and, and, and the kind of nephew-niece being the oh, sort sorry. of... Being the escort, as it were, in, in you know, to use white language, to Grasso family speak. <laughs> um, we talked about this a little bit last time, in the last episode, but not not linking it to the what you sent in the in the WhatsApp. I feel like I had a nice win from this episode in that I had predicted the link between Quentin and Greg, that he was the the Wyoming cowboy. And uh, it seems that that was spot on. (laughs) So the episode opens, as most of these episodes do, we get that shot of the pool and people laying out towels and them setting up the breakfast stuff. And we see Albie and Lucia at it in the morning again. I mean, do you think they get any sleep? They're just having just such a lovely time, aren't they? So what happens when you go all-inclusive, right? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Adam is absolutely shaking his head in disgust at that. I was trying to work out whether they just carried on through 
I don't. I, I wonder if it had been an all night situation rather than they they paused for sleep and and then got back to business. I reckon they have a rest. I think he gets morning wood and that's it. There, you know. God, that that was worse than all inclusive. But yeah, I just wanted to. I, well, I think it's really lovely the the contrast from going going from them to then seeing Ethan not on his jog first thing. But I'm not saying we should start either with Albie and Lucia or with Ethan. Who who would you like to start with this week? Demo, soon as you missed us last week, where would you like to start? Could we please do Valentina first? Because that, for me, she didn't get much screen time, but bloody hell did she do a lot with it. Yeah, amazing. Again, we raved about Valentina in the last episode, but let's cover this stuff. So we first see Valentina in reception, as ever. And this time it's not Rocco who's chatting to Isabella, it's Salvatore him of the bizarre voice and it's clear that he's boring Is Isabella and, and Valentina's not happy about it. No there's the perfect <coughs> isn't there <laughs> to interrupt. And then we get Lucia and Mia coming in asking for an envelope. Is there an, Has there been an envelope left for me? They're basically waiting for Cameron's money that he still owes and Mia takes the opportunity to ask Valentina what she thought of her performance last night. But yeah, so she moves Salvatore to the reception in the large lobby. Even though someone else is there, he should definitely go there as well. So that it's just the two ladies on the the two desks at reception. And I love the fact that he calls her out on this pointless task he's being sent on. And so she tells him, go see if Mama Pig has had her piglets. Yeah, I'm not quite... What does that mean? (laughs) Does anyone actually know? That has to be either an Italian or Sicilian phrase of... Just go and fucking do the job I've told you, even if it's a thankless task or not, right? Yeah, I think it's similar to the left-handed screwdriver or the stripy paint thing. Yeah. What? You're speaking in code. Grace, can you just pop out and get me some stripy paint? Oh, okay, fine. (laughs) But we also find out some new information, don't we? We find out today is a very special day for Valentina. It's her cumplianos. It is indeed her compleanos, buono compleanos, which for those who don't speak Italian is birthday. Uh, and probably for those who do speak Italian, didn't sound like birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Mi dispiace. I have to say, Demo, last week there was a significantly less bad Italian and I think we were poorer for it. I think I spoke Spanish at one point. <laughs> Dossiergemeister. I can't remember what I said. It was it was in relation to Lucia's opening of that episode. But yeah, Valentina is inviting Isabella out for her birthday, only if she's got nothing else to do. Literally, it's not a problem. If you're busy, if you've got other plans, don't worry about it at all. But would you like to come out with me for my birthday? Only to a very fancy, swanky restaurant as well. But it's no big deal. But I love how she flips from being sort of all girly and happy when Isabella says yes, to then being bossy to who had the random flunky next to her. It's just so great. The way she flips from one to the other. I loved that too. And it really reminded me of Murray's ability in series one of like Murray's ability to flip between like basically smiling and doing everything he can to make that someone stay perfect and then just hating them the split second after. And that is such a skill of people who work in hospitality. And I think they've got it spot on in the White Lotus. 100%. Anyone who's ever done any hospitality works knows the immediate drop of the smile. <laughs> so we next see Valentina then, 
as she's putting some makeup on, getting ready for said date. And Isabella rocks up and tells her that Salvatore is making her feel uncomfortable. Obviously, Valentina previously said to her, if anyone's making you feel uncomfortable, you come and let me know and I will deal with it. And so she says she'll send Salvatore back to the beach club and Isabella's quite keen for Rocco to return and Valentina's less keen and says she'll find somebody and then she tells her that Rocco's her boyfriend and they're engaged. It's a real moment, isn't it? A real a real moment for Valentina. Heartbroken. I was absolutely devastated for her. Uh, just And it was all, you could see it, but it was all contained. She refused to give anything away as she always has done, just bury, repress, bury, repress. But you can just see the slight tensing in, then the, the half second where her eyes drop, so well performed. Yeah, outstanding. I mean, to be honest, I do think Valentina could do better than Isabella, now that I think about it. You know, I think, you know, a bit, someone a bit more challenging, perhaps, or someone who plays beautiful piano. I don't know, I'm just guessing. It's the lip quiver. As, as Isabella walks away, that that did it for me. It was just superb. As you say, she's so great at holding it all together. And then when no one's looking at her, it was superb. But yeah, Val then cancels the date and says that her birthday is a day like any other. But she consoles herself with a martini as Mia's playing a sad song at the piano. Mia's sad song playing was just perfect for what was going on in and around the restaurant at that time was just so so good and a big part of that obviously was how Valentina was feeling and then later on Mia and Val have a conversation again I thought really really lovely stuff from both of them in this Uh, but we learn that Valentina's never been with a woman before Uh, Mia tries to kiss her and she says not here and then she gives Mia the master key yeah, I think that's gonna uh, that's gonna come into play in the final episode. I'm sure. Yeah, that that kind of the the I've never been with a woman. The sort of heartbreak that was just throughout that entire line, and then the her just giddiness when she was talking about the suite on the second floor again, just perfectly performed. Yeah, and she's had a drink, right? So she's slightly loosened up. And I can't remember if this is something we discussed or whether it's something that happened last week. Just that idea of She's probably never told anyone she's gay. She's never said that to anyone. Mia's come out this kind of, I don't know, beautiful naivete, whirlwind of energy has come at her, so to speak. And she's kind of given, you know, she's, she can't hide it. And, and it's out there. And, and now the genie's out of the bottle, as it were. I think, yeah, re- I think it's a really nice, really nice moment. And what's really interesting is this episode... We barely see Mia and Lucia together. They are on different paths now. Yeah. And Valentina's uber professional, right? She's probably never even considered using one of the hotel rooms for her own pleasure. So it is, you're right, that giddiness that comes over her after a couple of martinis was just lovely to see. And obviously she doesn't want any of her staff talking about it, right? She's kind of the boss. So whereas Murray in season one might have been doing all sorts of stuff with his staff in the spare room whilst they're having drugs. Valentina wants to be seen as this kind of asexual power figure that's not to be questioned, right? Yeah, 100%. So then we get into that suite on the second floor and Mia does the most wonderful, sexy, happy birthday singing, which was superb. Shout out for Mia's outfit as well, the sort of pom-pom style uh, 
breastage going on. She'd stolen a feather boa from the high-end gaze. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm not equipped to describe the outfit at all, clearly. What I liked about once they started becoming intimate and we, we move away in the storyline and we come back and there's this scene of, of the water coming into a bay, but it's still quite violent. It's kind of frothing. And then we cut. <laughs> we cut to Mia. I'm trying to think of a euphemism. Let's just say it, finger-banging Valentina. Um, <laughs> it's what Jack would say. And I thought, how apt we've gone from frothing water. <laughs> to I... obviously, Valentina's, like, first proper mutual sexual experience, I'm assuming, or at least lesbian one. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's not clear if she's been with men before. The times we've seen her with men, she's been less than impressed, hasn't she? So I, I imagine if she has, it hasn't been, you know, one for the record books. But yeah, the frothing tide, I caught I, I caught on to that. And I thought that was so like brilliantly tongue in cheek by the White Lotus. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we've talked about this before, but I think there is some some dark past there for Valentina when it comes to relationships with men. Mm -hmm. I wonder whether we will learn more about that in, in the final episode or whether it will just be something that's background that we're inferring from what's what's happening. Um, I don't mind, actually. I'm quite happy for that to be background, but I think she's a superb character. Very, very pleased for her. And her moans bled into the next scene, I thought. Again, a really, really brilliant use of the sound editing in this show, which has been superb from the get-go. Any, any other thoughts on Valentina? For the final episode. Well, I just think back to when she told Mia, don't make me regret this. I just remember that line quite vividly and I'm I'm worried. I'm worried she will. I don't I don't can't quite see how it's gonna happen, whether someone's gonna find out, whether the master key is gonna go missing, something like that. So Valentina's professionalism will be called into question, I think. And that for her is a is a disaster. Yeah, and I guess maybe there's a place for Mia to leverage that on top of the fact that I know you're gay and we did something. So not only are you anxious about people knowing you're gay, I've also, we've also done something in a room. So your professionalism is in question and that Valentina says, I can't lose this. And, and maybe Mia is a victim of some sort of accidental, of course, I can see it being a kind of a bit of a toing and froing that then leads to a, a head off the marble counter a la season one. And of course, we saw Valentina in the first episode, right? In that future scene, if you like, before we jump back to the beginning of the story. And she doesn't seem that concerned about the previous murders. And her main concern really is the fact that this body is found in the ocean and therefore is not the White Lotus's responsibility. So. And then I think she seems a little bit shocked because then she's corrected by Rocco that it's not a body, it's bodies, plural. And then there's a moment where she's like, oh, so yeah, could be that she's responsible for one of the bodies. Mm. Let's move on. Who do you want to talk about next? Let's talk about the toxic trio. Okie doke, the DeGrassos, otherwise known as, he says, scrolling down to find his notes on the DeGrassos. They're finally going to the motherland and they're hoping to find some distant relations. I mean, this is what we, we, we mentioned again last week, the fact that this seemed to have been forgotten. So I'm glad... They actually went on the trip this time. Unfortunately, Albie's found them a translator. What could go wrong? Did anyone not think it was going to be Lucia? I didn't think it was going to be Lucia. <laughs> I, I, I have to admit, I didn't really put two and two together in that moment. Oh, well, I'm feeling very clever now. 
<laughs> Dom, Dom is not particularly happy that Lucia is coming, but Bert tells him to be cool and get it together. And then there's a moment where Lucia has to speak to the bellboy. The bellboy sort of calls Lucia over. And it's kind of, again, this. I feel there's a lot of moments in this episode where I may well be reading too much into things. <laughs> but I was like, oh, that's suspicious. She's had to go and speak to the bellboy about something. I think that's just a narrative imperative that she's not there for that conversation between the, the father and son. But I did like the, her response to like, oh, it's you. I think I've seen you before, he says, right? And her response is, yes, I'm always around. I love this hotel. <laughs> also, I really felt like Dom had a bit of lightness to him at the start, just before Lucia arrived. Like at breakfast, he was quite excited about the fact that they were finally going to go to distant relatives. He even had a nice little moment with Bert when he was like, don't fall over on the way to the car. There was like a bit of a, a nice like father and son moment. And I was just wondering if perhaps that conversation in the previous episode, maybe he feels a little bit of like a pressure has been lifted from his chest. Like he's got something off his chest, right? Um, but then obviously, as soon as Lucia walks in, it's like, oh, no, not all my problems are over. So they're in the car. It's quite tense. But Bert is having a lot of fun by asking Lucia what it is that she does. And she replies, hospitality. Bert with his big wooden spoon stirring the pot. <laughs> I loved it. I, yeah, I quite enjoyed Dominic just kind of half looking over his shades, grumpily looking in the rear view mirror. Absolutely fucking fuming. <laughs> and Bert goes on to say, you know, there's lots of unemployment in Sicily, so it's great that you're so well employed by my family. <laughs> anyway, they arrive. They arrive at the motherland, and <laughs> there's not much there. They're definitely underwhelmed, Bert and Dom, by the place that they're in. It's quite disappointing. And they talk about the fact that Dominic gets his wanderlust from Bert. If he'd stayed, what would he have become? But Lucia and Albie find out that there is a de Grasso family. Now, again, me thinking too much into it was like, they only know that because Lucia translated it, right? <laughs> Maybe there isn't at all. Because then immediately after that, we find out that Alessio has followed them. Alessio and his heavy. Yeah. In their tiny little jeep. And Alessio continues to follow them, again, quite an anxious moment for the, the de Grasso's as they're like, what do we do? What do we do? Someone's following us. And Lucia takes control, tells him to stop the car. She gets out and has an argument with Alessio and Dom and Albie try and step up. But she says it's fine and she's going to go with them. And then Bert gets out of the car and I thought, oh, shit, Bert's dead. I genuinely thought Bert's going to do something stupid and he's going to be dead in the side of a road in Sicily. But he's not. He, he thankfully gets back in the car. But I genuinely was worried. So do you think all of this is genuine? Do you think the Alessio deal is real? That's my question. Or is this part of a, a long con that Lucia is playing? I think last week I wasn't sure. But I feel like this week, the, like, the physical violence between them and her I it felt like genuine fear I'm a bit more convinced that Alessio is you know not a good guy and is and is kind of wanting stuff from her so yeah I'm, I'm a bit more convinced now I I'm I'm sitting on the fence which is no help I know I think that there is a con on I think she's involved in this con but part of her wants to just completely 
not be part of it and and be honest with Albie. But for whatever reason, she knows that Albie's fucking off in two days' time and she's probably not going with him and she has to live in a world with Alessio on top of her, so to speak. So are we... Are we no, I won't say what I was going to say. But there's a scene later where I was really pushed as to trying to work out what her motivations are. We can talk about that now, I think, because it's separate from the other stuff that happens. We next see Lucia when she comes to Albie's room, right? At the end of the night, she's upset. When they go and have a conversation on the beach, the only way of her escaping is to to pay Alessio off. He wants money to let her go. And she tells Albie that he's kind and she wishes all men were like him. Yeah, it's it's quite manipulative, isn't it? Very, in fact. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's definitely what's going on there. I mean, it was. We just say, once again, absolutely beautiful shot. I'm sure this is going to be, we haven't, I don't know if we've talked about enough or if we haven't talked about it at all. The idea of these moments in each of these episodes that are kind of homages to Fellini and all these other kind of great Italian cinematographers. And I watched that and I thought, gee, that has to be a reference to something else that I'm too ignorant to know about because that shot was exquisite. You're right. We haven't talked enough about the cinematography of the show and it has been incredible. It's almost goes without saying with The White Lotus, I think, that you're going to get stunning, beautiful shots and scenery and vistas and all of it. And and also so well edited together. Let's go back back in time a little bit then. We'll, we'll park thoughts on Lucia and Albi and what that all means but um, they find this house, they track down their distant relatives, and there's two women outside and another one inside. Interesting that there's three women in this house with, for these three men to approach. And they have this conversation where basically they're trying to explain, they've lost their translator, they're trying to explain that they think they might be cousins. <laughs> <laughs> and then Siri does the work. But they find out the, about the older woman in, inside, Tua Madre, their mother, and when they go in to meet her, she has a knife and she's basically not very happy to see them. She shoes them away. We don't know anyone or anything. I'll throw this artichoke at your head. I curse you and your kind. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, Nana ain't playing at all. She also says at one point, you will not get the pretty money. So I don't know if she thinks that they're coming to take the house or that, that their reason of coming is to say that they have some kind of claim to the land, maybe. And that's how that got mistranslated. I don't know. I wasn't sure. Yeah, she was an absolute episode stealer, wasn't she? I mean, I just love the bit when they're like, there's men here. And she just barks back from the kitchen. Why do we need men? <laughs> yeah. I mean... It's a question I ask myself regularly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really great. I mean, I, I don't, personally, I don't think there's going to be much to come from this other than how Bert feels, obviously, which we'll talk about. But the curse is kind of, you know, they've now been cursed by a Sicilian grandmother. So, yeah, pretty harsh stuff. But Bert, at dinner, discussing this, wanted a homecoming. He wanted the embrace of a woman who tells you you've done all right, as do I. And he's so upset about it that he's got to go and have a drink in the lounge and watch Mia play piano. Yeah, and I wonder if a lot of this is because of the conversation that he's had with Dom last episode, that he kind of just, his own arrogance and ego meant that he thought that he was phenomenal, an an amazing father, an amazing husband, and that his wife thought he was amazing. And he just got some home truths that have percolated in that time. And they've just kind of hit home as this... Yeah, as the homecoming absolutely implodes in his face. 
Yeah, I think he wanted he he did he wanted to be embraced and and validated by some distant relatives and to be like, oh wow, you got out and you went to America and you've done so well and look at your handsome son and grandson and and what he got was chased away. We did say, didn't we, in episode one that there was always going to be a chance that they were going to turn up and their European counterparts are going to be like, so fucking what? <laughs> right? We love you, American listeners, but, you know, there is every chance that they were going to say, and I- I've had similar instances when I've gone to Ireland and spoken to Irish people about my heritage and they've just gone, I'm, I'm supposed to care why? <laughs> yeah, I don't get a very warm reception in Huddersfield either. I'm embraced fully in Oxford. What are you talking about? So I did want to just talk about Bert and Mia's short exchange because Bert's gone to the lounge and compliments Mia and she says, you know, you're my number one fan. I was like, well, he has seen your breasts before, so. I think just the one, actually. Just the one. (laughs) Yeah, it was side move. I turned around to Luca and said, yeah, because he's seen her tits. Yeah, it's uh, because she's going to recognise, she recognises him as well, I'm assuming, right? She knows who he is. I think he's well known around the hotel by now. But do you think it was a bit of a move by Bert? Do you think he was having a chirps? I mean, when is he not? Good point. (laughs) Good point. I wonder maybe, you know, he'd had the wind knocked out of his sails a little bit with the homecoming and he wanted to kind of go and, uh, yeah, I don't know, feel like himself again, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> an interesting thought of him feeling himself. I wondered if maybe to quote Tiny Temper, um, he chirps her just for fun from the uh, seminal piece of his pass out. I think you and Tiny have nailed that on the head. If it, that's exactly how it felt. Mm-hmm. He chirps just for fun. I never call a phone, I believe, is the exact poetry that Tiny gives us. <laughs> So, again, the same question. What are we What are we expecting for the DeGrassos in the final episode? Some of these characters we've predicted as, as deaths and killers, which we'll come on to later. But, yeah, any predictions, any thoughts, hopes, dreams, concerns? All concerns. I think Bert's going to take a final tumble. I just think they're teeing this up, aren't they? He's had a couple of falls. I've, yeah, I'm thinking back to those poolside steps. They look quite quite uh, tricky to navigate. Dom, oh God, Dom and Albie, I, I don't know. What do you think, Damo? I think definitely one of the three of them will be Requesque and Pache. I have a feeling that Albie, Grace just rolled her eyes at that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think that Albie is going to say, hey, don't worry, I'm going to pay that money. And then he's going to come to pay and he's going to go, no, actually, I'm not going to. Leave her alone. And then Alessia is going to be like, Who the fuck are you? And kill him. Nice. Nice. I like it. I think the grouting is going to be for Bert. Yeah, I think you're right about Albie. I think he's going to try and I think he's going to try and save Lucia and it's going to it's going to backfire for sure. Dom, though, I can't I can't really I can't really see what's going to happen with Dom. He's got wildcard status at the moment, right? It could it could literally be anything with him. I think all of the stuff we've anticipated has come good. We've seen it all. But I feel like Dom has the potential to be wildcard in that he is, you know, in the middle of those two. Does Dom sacrifice himself for Albie, maybe? Is maybe that where it goes? He goes, no, 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 look, I've realised I'm not going to make the mistakes of my father. I'm going to do what needs to be done. Because, I mean, he's such a great actor and he's had so little to do. So a big kind of dramatic death scene where he selflessly sacrifices himself. God, that's terrible English, where he sacrifices himself. I mean, that 
that's pretty decent, right? Yeah, you're right. I feel like he he needs more. He should have had more to do. So let's let's hope he gets in the final episode. So you're saying he deserves redemption? No, death. <laughs> redemption through death. Nice. I'm going to suggest that we move on to Ethan Harper and Dafcam next, and finish on Portia and Tanya and Co. Sorry. Um, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Anyway, Ethan's not jogging. One of the only episodes we see Ethan not jogging to start. He's he's sitting there, and again, we get these the idea that he's been up before we've seen him, as it were. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a tables of turn. Oh God, he's done it again. Up before he anyway. <laughs> yeah, the tables have turned, haven't they? From the last episode, in that last time Harper hadn't slept a wink, had she? And she was up, ready to ready to question and ready to kind of put Ethan under the microscope. And this time it's the other way around. Side point, Harper's hair and skin were not glowing. That volcanic wine, <laughs> Miss Cell. <laughs> but yes, Ethan's desperate to be believed. Why don't you believe me? I've never lied to you. And Harper points out they lie to each other all the time. We're not honest about how we're not attracted to each other anymore. Maybe something has died we're too young to be this old. I mean, it was crisis talk o'clock, wasn't it? It's not what you want first thing in the morning on the sixth day of your Sicilian holiday. Oh, God. But better to have that conversation on the sixth day rather than the first day. Absolutely. I mean, that she was willing to entertain that kind of conversation when she must have been absolutely hanging. I, I would have not been able to deal with that. I mean, she says, do you want me? And he says, I love you. And she sort of scoffs, doesn't she? Because that's not what she asked. And I think that's, they are just miscommunicating on every single level at the moment. Yeah, she wants to be wanted. He, and, and, you know, again, from the beginning of this, we've known that their sex life is not good. Yeah, her response being told that he loves her is, oh, so depressing. And then she says about, I get it, you've made all this money. And then she starts projecting all the stuff that she's heard from her conversation with Daphne about all these women want to fuck you. I'm sure you're sick of being stuck with me. You want to have sex with all these other people. That like she just starts, she just puts it all out there. And, and to be fair to her, she has actually, bar putting the condom wrapper in the bathroom, because she couldn't quite bring herself to ask that question. At every other stage, she's fronted up to everything, and she's actually, whereas someone like me would absolutely avoid the conflict, she's going straight for it. She wants to sort it out. She wants to get it, whatever it is, whatever will be, will be. Let's talk about Daphne a bit before we go back to Ethan and Harper, because uh, Daphne tells Cameron that Harper's convinced they did stuff whilst they were away, and... Cameron says, we partied because you abandoned me, essentially. He's clearly not over this. He tells her, you're going to pay. He asks her, did you fuck any fat Italian guys with a big, dirty dick? He's bitter about the fact that she spent a night away and didn't tell him what she was going to do. Yeah, but the vibe, though, the energy and the vibe that's going on here is mad. So he's kind of dancing around, making a coffee, he starts getting aggressively sexual with her. She's enjoying that being dominated. It's so weird how the power is played between the two of them. And we see it later on in the episode, of course, where they're overly sexual with each other, even in public, as a kind of show of power. 
such a strange setup. Yeah, and actually now you talk about it, I don't think I've really seen a couple like portrayed like this or as well like this on in TV or film before. It's it, like you say, it's all just really bizarre and kind of yeah, just quite chilling, isn't it? And I think yeah, I just think I think that that relationship between them is 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 really really well done. I mean, you're going to pay, Telza, but we know that she survives to a point. So maybe she'll make him pay. I don't know. Yeah, it definitely feels like she has the upper hand when it comes to the mind games and that what she has done has had an impact on him. And now she's kind of just letting him play and do what he does. But it feels like she's she's the one with the end game in sight. That's what I think about Daphne. I think she's going to be much, much sharper and cleverer than any of us have given her credit for. Ethan then does finally go for a run. But the key thing is that Lucia and Mia catch him when he gets back and they ask for the money. He's oblivious to the fact that Cameron hasn't paid them. But Harper sees them talking. And again, with the sound editing here, the music that comes in, that's kind of, for me, it was like inside Harper's head of the kind of like this sort of churning of information and what's going on and all the rest of it. Because, yeah, she basically sees him talking to the, the prostitutes. Also, that music is essentially a reprise of the same music when Ethan's high in the bathroom and Mia comes up to him to kiss him. It's the same It's the same music. So I think there's obviously a reason. It just really gets under your skin, doesn't it? And I also only realised after having seen the episode that, you know, Ethan and Cameron are on a day two now of the calm down which is you know famously the worst day so no wonder he's his paranoia is through the roof and he was sweaty as fuck those toxins so at breakfast harper pulls him up about the conversation he's just had and says please stop gaslighting me yeah and this is what i call bullshit ethan spends so long saying can we talk about it later can we talk about it later he could have just said then and there yeah, do you know what? I've just been accosted by the prostitutes. He hasn't paid them. He could have said it then and there. Why he didn't was unnecessary because he's not hiding anything from her anymore. So why wouldn't he just say it? No, fair point. I, I agree. I just think they I think that they've got themselves into a bit of a cycle of just wanting to hurt each other a little bit, both of them. Or like not hurt each other necessarily. I think Harper has, but I don't know. They're just not. They're just not meeting at a place where they can really have a, a genuine conversation about anything. Yeah, going to come back to this in a second. But I, I wanted to give a shout out to Daphne because although she doesn't feature heavily in this episode, she has some of the best one-liners and and little moments in there. She turns up to breakfast hungover, saying, "Looking at those sausages made me want to puke," and then we cut immediately to a statue of a a cherub with a tiny sausage. <laughs> she's also keen for a massage, so she's going to try and book one for her and Harper. Meanwhile, Ethan's asking Cameron to vouch for him. Can you let Harper know I didn't do anything? Harper sees them talking and gets her body out for Cameron. So I think, yet again, phenomenal work from Aubrey Plaza there, because she looks over, she lies down, and you can see that she can't keep fucking still. Like she's 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 just so uncomfortable. Her muscles are twitching or whatever it is. She can't just be. 
And so she goes, right, fuck it, I'm going to take the shirt off. Fuck it, fine. I'm just going to lie in my bikini. Maybe being like this will calm me down. No, it hasn't, because they're still talking. And then Cameron comes over, yeah. And then she starts again, as she has done the day before, flirting with everyone but Ethan. And quite aggressively flirting as well. Yeah. So conveniently, there's only one massage slot left, and it's right now. So Daphne books it, and off she goes. And Harper and Cameron, Cameron suggests they go and get drinks. Ethan's not up for it, but Harper is. Let's do it, she says. And Ethan watches them flirting before going for a swim. Then when he comes back, they gone. Now, I mean, we're going to get into this, how much of this has actually happened, how much of this is Harper deliberately fucking hurting him. Because she asked that question that in the previous episode, have you ever slept with the same woman? And this whole thing comes out where Ethan says, no, we never did because every time I said I liked someone, Cameron went and slept with them. So that's there. That's out there. She knows that that is something has happened, possibly something that he said to her previously. And um, we we posited that maybe something that he'd had therapy for because he'd come up with a with a psychological term for it. So I think she knows exactly what she's doing in this moment. I think Harper's starting to behave pretty awfully. I was kind of on her side in part one of this series but now I just think I mean I don't like any of them (laughs) other than Tanya my chaotic queen but Harper is just behaving really 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 appallingly I mean they all are but I'm just like Harper you're better than this come on I think she's been betrayed by his his lies by omission you know I talked about this a couple of episodes ago so uh, it feels like everything is fair game for her now and it's she can do what she wants to do and he can't really come back and say anything i i just my, i guess my big question is whether you think anything does happen between harper and cameron whilst they're away so they, they disappear and ethan comes back from his swim he gets a text from harper saying she went to her room to get her hat and ethan's convinced that they are something's happened between cameron and harper the suspicious door situations going on and the door to his room is locked and the joining door is unlocked, is open. But Harper denies absolutely everything. 100% set up. And I'll tell you why I think it's a setup. Because there's a moment afterwards when they leave the room and he can't see her face. But obviously she knows that he's been banging on the door, saying, let me in, what's going on, asking these questions. And she's kind of deliberately vague you know, doing what he did, possibly lying by omission, giving really weird answers. Oh, was that door open? I didn't know it was open. Oh, I put the lock on by mistake. All this really suspicious stuff. But when they then walk out into the corridor, and she's a step or two ahead of him, I think there's a look around that she does to say, has he bought this? I don't think it's a, oh shit, I've nearly been caught. I think it's a, I think he's bought this. And now he knows what I've been going through for the last day and a half, not knowing what's going on. He's telling me nothing's happened. I'm not sure I believe him. Now I'm going to tell him that nothing's happened and he's not going to be sure he believes me. And she's used all those psychological things and manipulations that have come up in the day and a half before. That's what that's what I think she's doing. Nice. I hope it's set up. I think that that would be great. I just, I don't know. I don't know if something might have happened. They're so good at playing with with um, we, you know, I'm I'm now paranoid. But yeah, I think setup would be really great. I think that would be a great plot like development. But I just I don't know. I don't know. 
What I loved about all of this is that it all feeds back to that very first episode, right? Because the last time that Harper and Cameron both went up to the rooms together was when he revealed himself to her. So in the back of Ethan's mind, and he, this is what he talks to Cameron about at dinner, is I know the last time, I know that you got naked in front of my wife. I agree. And, and we get that in the conversation later, don't we? The other reason why I think it hasn't happened is I think we'd see it. I think we'd see it if it happened. And whilst we get that moment in his imagination, I think we see it. I'm not necessarily saying that something won't happen between Cameron and Harper, maybe in the last episode. I just don't think it's happened yet. You know, when I did think it wasn't a setup and it might have actually happened was when Cameron went to go and collect his book. Cameron doesn't read. <laughs> he does. It's just, it's probably some horrible biography like of like some one percent wall street uber entrepreneur yeah you're so right it's that it is but we've we definitely have that ethan cameron confrontation coming to a head and there's almost certainly going to be something in the final episode around that i just wanted to touch on daphne a little bit her massage from the timothy chamelet alike which is then timothy chalamet alike which Cameron then butchers to Timothy Chamelay, <laughs> which I just did. There we go. She's got a bad back because of it. Innocent. Oh, well, I mean, on the beach, right? There's another, is it at the beach then when he suddenly, they start getting quite aggressive on top of each other, kissing and, and all that, right? It's all, we've already covered it, so probably not worth going to again, but how much of it is a show for other people and how much of it is a show for themselves? I, I, well, it does It does happen behind closed doors. It, it happens in their room when no one else is there. So I think I think it is about the other person. I think it's both. I think it's about how they think they're coming across to others. But I really think it's about messing with the other person. So again, going into the final episode, I mean, it's all to play for right here. Yeah, I just want to go back to something in the dinner scene where Cam has the menus in front of him and he says, I don't know why they bother giving this to us. We know everything that's on the menu. It's that time in the holiday where you're like, I just need to go home. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, I wonder if Ethan will challenge Cameron to something which he knows he'll win at, which could end in Cameron getting into some trouble. I was sort of thinking about, you know, we saw this shot of Ethan like swimming, like ferociously out to sea and then sort of swimming back. And I was like, OK, I guess they had to get him out of the way so that Harp Cam could leave. But I'm wondering if he might like do a bit of a Gattaca and challenge Cameron to a swim out to sea and then just like leave him there. I don't know. I'm thinking about that floating dead body in the water and those hairy legs. I think, yeah, I think Ethan is going to either kill Cameron or Harper in a fit of pique, Ooh. for whatever reason. So either he kills Cameron, and then he finds out from Harper that nothing happened, and she was just doing it to show him how she felt, and then he's not going to be able to live with himself, and then who knows what happens. Or it finally gets too much, and maybe he accidentally kills Harper. And we have the sort of the rogue Daphne situation, that she, at the start of the series, she doesn't seem to be aware that anyone in her party has died, unless she's doing her classic everything with a smile, but all really fucked up. It's so hard to know that that opening scene has given us so much and so little at the same time. Have either of you rewatched the opening scene? 
No, no, I haven't. I think I might before the final episode just to see how they they're going to do it. Yeah. So I, I rewatched it before last week's episode. And that opening scene with her talking to the two people that just arrived is like such superficial, like, oh, my God, you're going to have an amazing time. You're going to you're just going to die is the phrase that she uses. And then she's like such makes such a big deal of going out for a swim. It's like, oh, I'm just going to go out for a swim. She's literally just put some lotion on her or spray and then she gets straight in the water. She swims about for a bit. She stops. And then suddenly she's like, she looks around and then, oh, no, there's a body. Now, I don't know if I'm being too <laughs> cynical here. I feel like there's an element of performance, her shock. Cold-blooded killer, Daphne. It's all a big plot. That's what I reckon. We're running out of time, so let's move on to Portia and Tanya, because there's a lot to talk about here. So uh, we first see Portia wearing her Godfather souvenir T-shirt, and she then meets Tanya for breakfast and asks how the opera was. Well, she died, Madam Butterfly. Tanya asks how Portia's night was, and she says she nearly got arrested. And then I loved this stuff from Tanya. So I don't think he's his uncle. It's just a strong hunch. I just felt like this was Tanya really trying to protect Portia in a way. She sees Portia as a younger version of herself and her mum dressed her up as a doll, always waiting for someone to play with her, which is kind of exactly how she's treated later on in the episode. Yeah, there's another bit where she says, what do you mean you almost got arrested? Oh, we didn't pay for Arancini. We ran away. And she's like, what? Arancini like a dollar? Like, why are you risking going to jail for a dollar with this random guy? Like you said, we've had the beginning of the series where she's literally just a lackey. Oh, you're cramping my style. Stay over there. Be in the corner when I need you. And then as these two days with with the high end gaze and Jack have gone on, you know, that has changed. She's kind of been far nicer to her. Yeah. She says when you're empty inside and you have no direction, you'll end up in some crazy places, but you'll still be lost. I mean, she's had some of the best lines of this series. But then I loved it when Portia asks her to sort of clarify her point and she just goes, just get your shit together. <laughs> I mean, it's so prophetic, isn't it? Because Tanya ends up in a pretty crazy place at the end of the episode. But yeah, lovely, lovely stuff. Quentin arrives and asks them how they slept. Tanya complains of strange noises in the night. And he says, we need you refreshed. You're our guest of honour tonight. You don't want to be the guest of honour at a party like that wherever that your drama will follow you yeah well tonight's the night that it's going to happen anyway ultimately what when two become one yeah <laughs> yes i mean tanya and niccolo which we'll talk about later um but naughty nephew jack jumps out on portia we learn he's got his uncle's car and they're going out for the day portia's keen to make sure they get back for the party jack says yeah 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 100% isolation again, right? Get the other pair of eyes out of the way. Yeah, and there's a sinister shot of Quentin kind of watching them leave. He's being pretty mean, Naughty Nephew Jack, I think. He's, make, he's scaring her. He's being mean and aggressive. And again, this all sort of portented as to what was to come. But I did, I did really enjoy their discussion about goals. So Portia's like, you know, having her... Typical Porsche talk of like, you know, have you got any goals? What are your dreams and what are your aspirations? And it's pretty simple for Naughty Nephew Jack. He just wants to live every day as it comes because who knows if we're even going to be here tomorrow. 
She says the world's a fucking mess. And he says it's better than the Middle Ages. All we've been doing is hacking each other to bits and burning each other at the stake. If you can't be satisfied here now, you never will be. Yeah, it was a great scene, this. And when she says, oh, the world's so fucked up, he was like, what's wrong with it? It's <laughs> a beautiful, wonderful delivery. But I think, for me, this is the point where Portia starts to find him more unattractive. He's drinking, right? The drinking starts. And with that drinking, it's not so much, oh, fun time, Jack. There is a level of depression and whatever water is churning below the surface of Jack is starting to come up. During that whole thing, I was like, yeah, I think Portia's starting to think maybe safe and sensible and slightly boring Albie was a better decision. Yeah, the lottery ticket they got thrown away, right? This also reminded me of that conversation we had earlier on with Dafcam and Ethan and Harper, where basically they're saying, you know, we don't know about the news and all of that sort of stuff. But before we see them again, we get this shot of bell ringing. And I was like, ooh, for whom does the bell toll? And then we see Portia and Naughty Nephew Jack and him saying, I fucking love beer. And again, we get mention of the party and it's quite clear Portia ain't getting to that party. I mean, we'll stick with them, I think, because the rest of that, I think, we'll cover Portia and Jack and then go back over the others. But he basically is too drunk to drive. They'll get a hotel and be satisfied whilst he's singing I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles. Is it any surprise that he's a West Ham fan? None at all. Sorry, West Ham fans. Yeah, big respect to West Ham. Yeah, give me lots of, over the years, watching West Ham. But he's a, he's a tool, right? Not your nephew, Jack. Him singing that song on, like, the beautiful cobbled streets of Sicily. It's just like, chop shush. <laughs> but crucially, the crucial conversation, I think, between the two of them is at the end of the episode when he reveals that Quentin had no money and was going to have to sell his family home. But now he's coming into money. I'm just glad I can help him because I was in a fucking hole when he found me. Yeah, I found this scene a, a bit frustrating, I have to say. I feel like Portia was just... I, I think the writing for me just felt a little bit lazy compared to the whole rest of the series. Like, you know, Portia's just like, your family, right? He's your uncle, right? He doesn't sell it, now, right? How are you helping him? What do you mean? What kind of hole? It was just a bit... It didn't feel like... I don't know. I think I was just frustrated by it. I think it could have done better with that scene. His primary purpose was to, to build tension and suspense to what was going on back at the house, wasn't it? There was a bit of in Sambuca Veritas, but other than that, it was literally just a case of setting it up, wasn't it? Because I was like, fucking hell, Portia's not an idiot. It's fairly clear what's happening here. Why the fuck isn't she saying, all right, bye? She has access to money. Why isn't she just trying to sort out some way of getting back to that house? But instead she's like, oh, okay, you've said some really weird and probably quite worrying things about what's going to happen but don't worry I'll, I'll just probably put my pjs on and go to sleep yeah i i wonder whether she is going to put her pjs on and go to sleep she, you know she's not as drunk he's passed out whether she's going to try and get back to the house somehow whether it's in a taxi or whatever but i wonder whether portia is going to ultimately come to the rescue in some way yeah, I, I wonder if we'll start the next episode the next morning as we have or whether we'll carry on as we left off. Well, let's talk about what happens with Tanya and Quentin then. She's dressed in her amazing symphony of salmon and Quentin reveals he's got some arm candy in the shape of Niccolo, uh, who is notoriously well hung. 
Not that Quentin's seen it. <laughs> crestfallen. And Nicola the Mafioso, right? The first time we've actually had La Cosa Nostra properly, properly spoken about. And he's the one that brings the party favours. Damien, we don't use that word in Palermo, actually. Thank you. Well, he does turn up with some pure and fresh cocaine. Tanya loves his giant pupils. And again, I was like, oh, now Quentin's done a line from the middle of the row of lines. That must mean something. You know, the ones on the outside, they're probably some sort of sleeping drug, right? But I was worried that, that was dodgy as well. She's dressed as a doll as well when she comes out of that room. Very, very much so. I thought that was a clear, clear callback to what she was, well, she's going to be played with, isn't she? And that's what happens in the end. Yeah, I mean, so many amazing lines from Tanya on cocaine. One of my favourites is when she goes back into the room for the umpteenth time. She's like, this is our secret room. Nobody else needs to know about this. And then later on, you see about six people in there. <laughs> yeah. So there's a whole sort of different, we see these at all sorts of different times, but basically coked up Tanya enjoying the party. We learn that Niccolo has a gun in his cocaine bag. There's some snogging going on. And then Ultimately, Tanya gets left alone in a room and finds a photo of young Quentin and young Greg. In their matching cowboy hats, which was a lovely little uh, touch, I thought. Yeah, I, I was like, who is that? Who is that? It took me a little while to work it out. And then Niccolo comes back in, just butt naked. Yeah, which is going to distract you, obviously. I mean, if, even if she'd like been clear-headed, I think, Niccolo's presence. Um, I didn't think he was that well hung, though. Could have been cold, to be fair to him. I, I don't know what excessive use of cocaine does to the length of your member. Maybe there's some kind of drug-based shrinkage to be had there. But what was really interesting is that she's worked all out. You know, we've said this before. She's savvier that, than she lets on. She's put two and two together. She's fucked, so it's taken her a little bit longer. But then she sits down on the bed with him, and then she says, ah you're just so beautiful or something like that so I think oh no she's she's given in and I was wondering because when she walked into that room we have all these different pictures and paintings on the wall and the first one we see is a woman naked on I don't know a bed or a chaise long she has a like a, a sheet I mean, you can see she's naked from from her profile and then as, as you've intimated there Adam she has some kind of dagger in her hand right and then there's all these other pictures of women naked or in some sort of distress. And I, I wondered if, because we then went back to that image, do you think that there's probably some recording equipment somewhere in this room? Is this what's going to be the proof that she has been unfaithful and therefore nullify the prenup? She will have cheated on him and there will be proof there. It's not going to be enough for, for Niccolo to be like, oh yeah, I slept with her. There has to be some level of evidence, right? Yeah, I was I was questioning, what's the play here? What is actually going on? If they're not going to kill her, what is happening? And I wondered whether it was going to be an attempt to bribe Tanya to not tell her husband that what had happened, um, which which now would not work, given that she has seen the connection that he already has to Greg. But I don't know. Yeah, you, equally, it could be what you're what you're suggesting there. And I think I recognise that painting, though, from a previous episode. I recognise the face of the woman. And in a previous episode, she's crying blood. And now I'm like, what does that mean? But Gosh. maybe you're right, Damien. Maybe it's something about people seeing things that they can't then unsee. 
something like that. Yeah, I definitely recognised that painting previously. Grand. So that's the episode then. So let's talk about then the competition that we started at the beginning of this. We all predicted two characters we thought were going to die and one killer. And we're going into the final episode now. Obviously, nothing has happened in that respect so far. Now, each death was worth eight points and each kill was going to be worth four points. We're going to give you the opportunity to change your deaths and or your killer. But each death will go down by two points and each kill will go down by one point. Okay? Yeah, sounds fair. All right. So, Damien, your deaths, we're going to give you first option to change. Remember, they have to be exclusive. Your deaths were Bert and Dom and your killer was Lucia. So I would like to change my killer. I'm not sure yet about my deaths, but I definitely want to change my killer to Alessio. That's worth taking the hit on the points for me. But I'm going to hold firm with the Grazzo men, I think. Okay. Grace, your deaths were Cameron and Mia, and your killer was Tanya. God, I want Tanya to kill someone, but I just don't think it's going to happen. So I'm going to sit with Cameron as my death, Oh, God. You know what? I'm backing myself. I'm sticking. Tanya for the win. (laughs) So my deaths were Greg and Lucia, and my killer was Dom. My biggest concern at the moment is for Portia. And I just feel like if Tanya survives this, Portia won't. That's my feeling. So I'm tempted to change both of my deaths to Tanya and Portia. That feels a bit extreme. So I'm going to, I think I am just going to stick with what I said and see how it all rolls out. But if either Tanner or Portia die, then I'm, I'm hoping for some honorary points or at least a little bit of, you know, damn, I wish I'd said that. There is no honour in Sicily. <laughs> <laughs> I take that back, Sicilians, I take it back. Interesting that none of us have picked Quentin as a killer or even thought to, I guess he's kind of pulling the strings, right? Well, we hadn't met him in those first two episodes, so we didn't know back then. We haven't mentioned Albie or Harper or Ethan as, as potential deaths either. And I think there's potential there for all of them, potentially. <laughs> Who knows? It's very exciting, though. I, I, I'm so excited about the final episode, and I hope it does live up to what I'm expecting from the show. Is it longer? Oh, don't, don't even. Throw back to Niccolo. Is it a lot extra long episode? I don't know. I'll have to. I'll, I'll have a look and see if I can confirm via WhatsApp. I don't know if it's a longer episode or not. But Grace, I know you've got to leave us soon. Have you been watching much? And or are there any Christmas shows you're looking forward to? I haven't really been watching anything else, unfortunately. Christmas wise, um, I'm looking forward to the Motherland Christmas special. We mentioned it last week, Adam. I'm. Re- I think that's going to be brilliant. And. Yeah, probably just dig into some good old Christmas movies. I'm going to get the tree up soon. Have you both got your trees up? No. I think I'm late. I'm late. Oh, and Adam's wearing a Christmas jumper. Listeners, it's some sort of animal. It's got a dog on it. It's it's got, yeah, it's like a dog, like a hairy dog, maybe from The Walking Dead or something with a a Santa hat on. (laughs) Chewbacca. Bless you. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah, very excited about Christmas. Well, Well, do you want to hear about other stuff that's on at Christmas? Yeah, go on, hit me quickly. Okay, before you go, we have got, uh, comedy-wise, we're going to get a Ghosts Christmas special, which is going to be Pat-centric, which I'm very excited about. We're also going to get Detectorists. Did you either of you watch Detectorists? No, no. but I've heard, I've heard good things. 
Yeah, Mackenzie Crook and Toby Jones return after a five-year absence. And also an inside number nine special, which will have Simon Callow and Shobna Gulati guest starring. Speaking of inside number nine, closely linked to that is Mark Gattis, who is doing another ghost story for Christmas. This one's called Count Magnus, set in 1863. It's the story of the legend surrounding a long-dead aristocrat who once made a mysterious journey to the Holy Land. And... As you would come to expect at Christmas, there's a couple of Christmas Carol-inspired stuff. Uh, There's an animated musical version called Scrooge A Christmas Carol, which has Luke Evans playing Scrooge and also features Jonathan Price and Olivia Coleman as voices. That's coming to Netflix. And then Christmas Carol with an E stars Saran Jones, uh, who plays a heartless internet entrepreneur visited by very different Christmas ghosts to the ones we're used to. So Christmas Past are represented by Morkman Wise, played by a couple of impersonators, and Joe Brand and Nish Kumar play the ghosts of Christmas present and future. And that's going to be on Sky or Now TV. There you go. How about a rom-com, Grace? You like a rom-com? Yeah, God, yeah, I'm partial to a rom-com. Why, what you got? Uh, I've got Your Christmas or Mine, which is already out on Amazon Prime Video and stars Sex Education's Orsa Butterfield. Um, but the essential storyline is that the young couple decide, are going to their individual homes for Christmas. They both spontaneously decide, actually, they want to spend Christmas with their partner. So they swap to the other trains, and it means they both end up spending Christmas with each other's families. I've got quite a novel idea for a Christmas film. I don't know if anyone's come up with it. There's a a woman who works in a big city. She's got quite a high-powered job, but she has to go back to the small town that she's from for Christmas. And to be honest, she's become a bit jaded with big city living. She goes back home and by chance, there's some kind of altercation with with a man who lives locally. He's very good looking. Maybe they went to school, but they lost touch. And she ends up realizing that actually being in that small town that she's originally from is is better for her and she kind of forgets about her career and, and living in a big city. I wonder, are there any films like that that we could possibly watch? So interesting. I've never heard that plot before. Fascinating. <laughs> is that a Christmas movie? Sweet Home Alabama. I think that's half of them, aren't they? I mean, you literally just described Sweet Home Alabama. Well, I mean, it's just that with tinsel, right? I'm sure half the Hallmark Christmas films, that is the story. You've got to remember, you must have a man with a dead wife. That's very, very important in a Christmas movie. Someone that they could never, ever live up to. Exactly. That dynamic as well, yeah, yeah. So last question for you then, Grace. Have you seen the Strictly Christmas lineup? No. I haven't got the full rundown for you, but uh, Girls Aloud's Nicola Roberts. Yeah. Larry Lamb. Larry Lamb? Yeah, not Larry the Lamb. Larry Lamb, the actor... Gavin and Stacey, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah. And CBB's George Webster. Mm, that was disappointing. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of CBB's, you're still here. You haven't left, so I'm going to keep going. Speaking of CBB's, The Smeds and the Smooze is on at Christmas, the Julia Donaldson and Alec Axel Scheffler show, uh, or a storybook turned into a, a TV show. It's a brilliant book. Read it to Otis many, many times. It's about the Smeds who are red and the Smooths who are blue, who fall in love, or a young Smed and a Smooth fall in love, and their families disapprove. 
But the voice acting in this, Sally Hawkins, Bill Bailey, Mira Sayal, Rob Brydon, yeah, should be great. That's a novel idea for a story, two warring groups of people and one of each of their children fall in love. I don't know where they come up with these stories. It's amazing. Now, I know you're tired, Grace, and I know you want to leave us, but do you want to hear Phoebe and Otis's review of the latest episode of Santa Clauses before you go? Yes. There's no way in the world you were going to be able to say no to that, was there? Then I guess that Otis is just going to say it's good, because I love that every time. Okay, so we've just finished watching episode four of the Santa Clauses. What did you think, Otis? Um, good. Phoebe? I mean, I thought it has a really good cliffhanger at the end. What happened at the end? Um, um, the, oh, I forgot that there's something else. Betty? Betty, the elf, went to the witches and then the Christmas suit uh, magically came. With the hanger that Phoebe was talking about, I think. The hanger? Yeah. The cliffhanger. Yeah, so the, the Santa Clauses are at home and they're about, just about to decorate the tree and oh. suddenly they've like frozen and someone is behind him. Oh. Um... But what Otis was talking about, the head elf got fired by the crazy fake Santa Claus. Yeah. No, the real Santa Claus. The second next Santa Claus. The yeah. new one, the new Santa. Santa. Yeah. Santa yeah. Simon. Yeah. Santa Simon, Bill Man. And all of the elves are disappearing. And what do you think is going to happen next? Everything's going to die. It's <laughs> um, grim. <laughs> I think... Maybe the new Santa will come back to the North Pole and fix everything. The old Santa. I mean, yeah, the old Santa. Yeah. Grand. Well, that's it. That's Santa Claus. Epi- the only part. Santa Claus episode four. Baby Otis. Reviewed by the Hemmings. And mad. Bye. Bye. Can we get Otis on to review <laughs> the White Lotus? Everybody dies. I want you to introduce me for the final episode of The White Lows. And I want to be described as, and second next, is Damien. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I really don't want to say any more about the Santa Clauses because I think it's been so well summarised by, by my kids. So, Can I just check, do we need to put a spoiler warning here? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was totally worth staying up for. Thank you. But I am going to have to go now. We'll see you next week for the finale. Big time. Ciao. Ciao. Right, Damien. Have you been watching much? I have. I got quite excited when you described something as being and or because I have finally started watching and or. And or what? So proud. I'm so proud. Uh, Yeah, I've only watched the first two episodes. I've not had time to watch any more because there's a World Cup on. Diego Luna is a brilliant actor. I really enjoyed him in Narcos. Mexico, and so I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. So once things free up in my schedule, I'm going to go back to it. Yeah, it's well worth it. I think within those first two episodes, you can see or feel, I guess, the quality of the show. It just gets better and better as it goes on. I think definitely well worth sticking with. Well, I'm desperate to get through that third episode so I can listen to the Andor episodes that you and Neil have done, listeners, if you haven't had a chance to listen to those yet. Yeah, 
again, well worth it. So many great insights from me and Neil on Andor in those episodes. Um, I think they are good fun. But yeah, it's such a good show. So, so good. So I'm really, really pleased that you're watching it. Anything else? I know the World Cup's taken up a lot of your time. But anything else you've been watching? Well, just because I hadn't had enough World Cup stuff, I started watching on the uh, recommendation of some of my friends a long-form series documentary called FIFA Uncovered on Netflix, which is the history of FIFA from its very beginning, I'm assuming up until the awarding of the current World Cup to Qatar and all the controversy around that. So the first episode is a little bit of what's happening right now, and then they go back to the formation and with Havelange, who was the first president before Sepp Blatter and the setting up and the dodgy deals that were already happening with FIFA and how it's basically built on a rock of lies and corruption. Hey, maybe not lies, but definitely corruption. I've enjoyed that. That's quite good. I think it's six episodes of about an hour long each. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to carry on watching 1899 uh, on Netflix, but I've just not had time because the football has been just constant. How far into 1899 are you? Uh, no further, so two episodes, okay. I believe, maybe into the third. I think I've got I've got three left, so I think I've, I'm up to episode five now, and Catherine has finished it, and it is it's bonkers, but it's really really well made bonkers. And um, what I realised was that the opening credits of it, I think, must be made by the same people that did Arcane's because it's so so similar. I and again, I think they're gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. But yeah. I'm enjoying 1899 and I'm really intrigued to see where it goes, but it does feel a little bit like lost on a boat. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm watching a whole load of stuff and I'm not going to talk about all of it because that, we'd be here all night. Um, I will say I'm watching Hamid's Tale um, ongoing. That's just hit the accelerator and has got very, very exciting. Um, I picked up Willow, watched the first two episodes of Willow and really, really enjoying that great monsters it's an epic quest there's a fun group of largely young people and then warwick davis as well he's much better when he's doing the comedy than he is when he's doing literally anything else but i'm enjoying that and i'm going to continue watching willow uh, i finished peripheral which was the amazon prime show uh i continued watching it really for chloe grace moretz who's great in it the effects stuff is really really good and the American storyline goes into two timelines. There's the near future in America, and then there's the far future in London. And the American storyline, I think, is really, really gripping and interesting. The future London stuff was confusing, although I did watch it over six weeks, um, which didn't help, but was definitely weaker in terms of quality, and it was a bit of a shame. Uh, there's some tricky plot stuff that kind of made it less than fully satisfying for me, but I thought it had a really, really beautiful ending. And I think it's set up for a second season, which I would probably watch. Would you recommend it then, I'm guessing? If you've watched all of the other brilliant stuff that I recommended, like The Bear and Andor and Bad Sisters, then I'd recommend Peripheral. But I, it's not dreadful. And if you love your sci-fi, I think there's a lot of really good, interesting stuff in there. There's, it has its weaknesses, definitely. So it's not a top 22 for me. Fair enough. Very excited that Slow Horses has returned. I've watched the first episode of that and really enjoying it. 
and where else have I been watching? Uh, Wednesday. Wednesday on Netflix. Everyone's talking about Wednesday on Netflix. It's really good. Wednesday Adams is such a brilliant character. The show's well made. Uh, there's a, a really good thriller. But I think the the character and general what General Ortega is doing with it is really, really brilliant. Is Phoebe the right age to watch this? Phoebe is watching Wednesday. She's yeah. not quite the right age to watch it, but she is watching it. I'm not as far along as I probably would be if I was watching it on my own because I promised we'd try and watch some episodes of it together but yeah it's definitely that that sort of age it's a 12 there's some scary moments in it without it being over the top but yeah I the star in it is the character of Wednesday Adams being brilliantly portrayed by General Ortega and I think she's a great role model action star in a way for young people so yeah fully behind Wednesday. I'm watching so much other stuff. I'm watching Echo 3 on Apple TV+, Plus, which I'm enjoying. I've picked up the capture because I wanted to get caught up on that. And I've nearly finished the first season of that one. Three Pines, also on Amazon Prime Video. Alfred Molina. I'm one episode into that, but really, really enjoyed it. He's so watchable. So good. Uh, a Canadian detective. Backdrop of missing Native American girls. And then this murder mystery that's kind of at the forefront of it. Also, The Patient on Disney+, Plus, which is a Steve Carroll kind of taught 20-minute episodes about a, a therapist being imprisoned by a, a serial killer. Great concept. There's some funny moments in it. It's quite dark. Enjoying that so far. And Shantaram. Still watching Shantaram, which hasn't finished yet. And I will say, you're absolutely right. He is a charisma vacuum, but everybody else in it is brilliant. And it is beautifully shot. And I'm loving the kind of storytelling around it all and how it's all coming together. It's an epic show. But yeah, you were right about. Was it Charlie Huffam? Hunnam? Charlie Hunnam. So somehow a clip for Green Street came up somewhere. Did you ever watch that? Oh, so... Listeners, for those who haven't watched it, Green Street is like a football hooligan film. Elijah Wood is this kind of preppy guy that comes to London and he gets drawn up into the football soccer scene. And he just wants to, much like our Porsche, he just wants to feel something, I think. And he ends up meeting this guy played by Charlie Hunnam, who is a football hooligan, I think, for Tottenham Hotspur FC. Charlie Hunnam cannot do a Cockney accent to save his life. And it's, I mean, in many ways, I'd say it rivals uh, Dick Van Dyke's accent in Mary Poppins, uh, where he plays Bert, but nowhere near as charming. Yeah. He's he's definitely the weakest link in the show. And I don't think it does hang... You've got people like Alexander Siddick, who's just superb. And you have these brilliant sort of... Uh, you have these brilliant Indian actors in there, but it's all about Bombay and about the international mix of people that come into that city. And I think the ensemble cast is is so strong that for me, it kind of, I, I can just push him aside in terms of his acting and, and enjoy the story and the performances by everyone else. But it is cinematic in its beauty, I think, in, in the way that it's shot, which it, most Apple TV shows are. But yeah, I think there's about two episodes left of Shantaram now, and I'm I'm looking forward to that concluding. A couple of bits I wanted to talk about coming soon before we do go. I know I've covered a lot, but my basic big recommendation at the moment is Wednesday. 
but coming soon this Thursday, the 8th of December, at the time of recording, on ITVX launches, which is the new ITV hub. Except these are streaming shows that may not appear on ITV, certainly not immediately, but maybe later. The flagship show is A Spy Amongst Friends, which I talked about about a month and a half ago because I thought it was coming sooner. But in England in 1963, Nicholas Elliott works for MI6 as an intelligence officer, but is left in turmoil when he learns his close friend and colleague, Kim Philby, had been secretly working as a double agent for the KGB, defecting to the Soviet Union. Based on a true story, this stars Damian Lewis, Guy Pearce, and Anna Maxwell Martin. Um, and by all accounts, is definitely worth a watch if you love your spy stuff. And we're a bit spoilt for spy stuff with slow horses coming out at the same time. The other show is Tell Me Everything, uh, which follows 16-year-old Johnny, who struggles with mental health after a tragic event. It explores the stresses of mental health for today's teens, created by technology and social media, whilst they're searching for their ident identity, exploring sexuality and experimenting with relationships, drink, drugs and sex. It's kind of a new skins but it's created by Marco Sullivan, uh, who is a friend of my wife, Catherine's, and the and also formerly my younger brother's drama teacher when he was at school. So there's a local connection. It's filmed in Welling Garden City and Letchworth. And uh, Mark is also the star and co-creator of Leon Dean, which is a very, very good comedy show. If you haven't seen before, it's worth picking up. I think we also should mention something that's happening this Saturday, starting at about, I believe it's seven o'clock in the World Cup. It's England versus France, a quarterfinal, very exciting. I sadly think France is going to win, but still. It's not coming home, though. I am always reticent to say that in public. We were talking about this before we got on to record. I think it's going to be very tight. There is a slight chance England might beat France, but I think really the odds are in France's favour. Yeah, I, I think the luck of the draw has been against us in this tournament, but I've got to say that the nil-nil draw aside, England have done pretty well in this tournament and have, have shown what they're capable of and scored some good goals. It's been entertaining and enjoyable to watch. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Well done, Gareth and... Co. Yeah, let's say this because there's every chance by the time we record the next episode, we'll be out of the World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. But best of luck on Saturday, the Three Lions. Right, enough football chat. That's not what most people listen to us for. Should we? Should we sign off? Yeah. Have you got a good sign up for us from the White Lotus? Whilst you're thinking of one, I will say you can contact us on. The social media at TVDNAPod, or you can email TVDNAPod at gmail.com. We would love for you to give us an early Christmas present by rating us five stars and leaving us a wonderful review. That would make a huge amount of difference to us. And now, to finish us off, to close this episode, to round us up, <laughs> I give you Mr. Damien Cooper. There is no homecoming. Not for me. Beautiful. Bye. I'm going to give you the opportunity to change your deaths and or your killer, but you will lose half your points. So each death will go down by four points and each kill will go down by two. Oh, gosh. Well, give you half? reminders of who it feels harsh. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, let's go. Okay.
Each death will go down by two points and each kill will go down by one point. Sounds fair. 